a shout out to North Dakota tourism. You know, again, right now we are in the woods and out on the prairie chasing birds. And I'm still planning details for my fall hunt in one of my all-time favorite hunting destinations, North Dakota. The most recent bird count is just in. Biologists in North Dakota report the total number of pheasants observed. That number was 65 birds per 100 miles of roadway. That is up 61% from last year. And broods, 7.5 per 100 miles. That number is up 70%. The end result, world-class upland hunting. On the waterfowl side, 2023 was one of the wettest springs on records, which means an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks. That number is also up from last season. Add to that North Dakota's PLOTS program, 800,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. The, all that together, you have your spot just waiting for the perfect fall hunt. Make memories and hunt North Dakota. Plan your adventure just like we do at hellond.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. I'm your host, Laura Scherer, for today. And our next guest is uh, the Mystery Cave Manager, Don Ryan works for the Minnesota DNR, um, actually at the Forestville Mystery Cave State Park. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I am so thrilled to have you on today um, because I personally have not had a chance to tour this grand mystery cave that is located in Preston, Minnesota. And um, some of our listeners may not even know of this mystery cave that exists. And it's, uh, I saw online, it's over 13 miles long. So I have a lot of questions on how about the cave, how it got here. Um, I understand part of Minnesota was under the ocean at one point, point millions of years ago. So um, I guess let's start with, you know, where, what is this cave and where is it located and how did it get there? <laughs> well, well, Mystery Cave is located, it's about 40 minutes south of Rochester in the beautiful Driftless area. Love it. And yeah, it, it, it's in Forestville Mystery Cave State Park, like you said, and the park protects about 3,600 acres and including the longest cave in the state, and that's Mystery Cave, and it has 13 miles of passage. Wow. And how it got here is, is it's kind of a long story. Um, there, there are a few key ingredients for creating some amazing places that are beneath our feet. So you need water, the right kind of rock, and lots of time. So. Wow. To, to understand how the cave got here, we have to go back in time, back about 450 million years ago during a period of time called the Ordovician period. Uh, during that time, Minnesota was covered by a shallow sea, and Minnesota was also located closer to the equator, so it's, it's, it was tropical then. Fascinating. But isn't that cool? You, you don't think of Minnesota as being tropical or having a beach, but yes, at one Certainly time don't. it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But, but in that in that sea, there there were animals. There were crinoids. Uh, crinoids can be described as upside down starfish with stems. There were also cephalopods. Uh, cephalopods of today are squid and octopus, you know, soft bodied animals. But back then, the cephalopod or, or orthoceras is what it was called had a, a long conical shell similar to oh, I'd say it looked kind of like an ice cream cone. And it, it it grew over six feet long. Wow! And and there were coral reefs. And, and when these when these animals died, their shells drifted to the bottom of the sea and were covered with sediments and gradually compressed into developing layers of limestone, sandstone, and shale. And so, if you look at the walls in the upper levels of Mystery Cave, you will see these interchanging layers of what is called the Dubuque limestone. They look like, I guess they look like thick building blocks. And and in between that, there are thinner bedding planes of shale, sort of, um, sort of like a thick mud texture. So if you go, if you see Mystery Cave, and most people come, or many people come to Mystery Cave to see the scenic tour, which is the the most popular tour in the cave, you'll be in the upper level of the cave and see those Dubuque limestone walls. But in the lower levels of the cave, you'll see the Stuartville Formation, which consists of limestone and dolomite. So this was deposited when the depths of the sea was diminishing. And and the Stuartville is interesting because of the the distinct fossils that are visible. There are these; they're called fisherites, which, current you know, modern days they ha- there's no living equivalent, but they were a form of of green algae, mm. and these look like yeah, they're kind of weird. They look they look like hemispherical masses of honeycombed like com- compartments, kind of like a like a bee honeycomb in a way. And, and there were other interesting fossils um, that, were f- that, formed, that were formed by these large flabby worms called paleosynapta flaccidae. Yeah, science has to, you know, throw those big words in there. <laughs> of course. Name that, say that three times fast. Did you say yeah. it was a worm, a giant worm? It was a giant worm, a giant oh, flabby gosh. worm. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of oxygen in, in the sea at that time, and worms were the, the abundant animal that lived. And, and they were present in, in the late Ordovician Stuartville mud, and they left many s- sediment-filled burrows that were eventually uh, dolomitized or, or crystallized. And so the worm, the worm itself is, is rarely p- present. You can't see the worm, but the burrows are a dominant feature in the rock. And, and, and they, they stick out like, like fingers. Cavers call it cave Velcro because when you're caving, these worm burrows pull on all, everything, all your cave gear, and it's hard to travel through. But wow, these are the rock that Mystery Cave burrows? is developed in. I'm sorry? How big are the burrows? Like if you were to give a visual of how big this worm was, are we talking like six inches in diameter? Are they 12 inches in diameter? Um, they're, they're varying in, in width, but from maybe an eighth to a half an inch, but they can be very long. Um, and as they start to wear away, well, long, I guess, long about maybe the length of a, of a cigar, I guess. Okay. Be. 
something to imagine. But as they start a, start to wear away, the tubes wear away, just leaving finger-like protrusions sticking out of the rock. Fascinating. And the cave runs, is it is it 13 miles? Does it go 13 miles across? Are we talking, are we going miles down into the ground? Like how is the, the cave laid out? Oh, okay. So, so that's, yeah, that is, thir- when you say 13 miles, it is a little deceiving or um, a little, yeah, it's hard to really understand. far down, obviously, but I didn't know if it does go down and wide. I'm assuming it does both maybe. Uh, we're, we are currently resurveying the cave and 13 miles, when you, when you take all the passage, which is, um, um, wraps around in probably like a two mile radius and stretch it all out, you get 13 miles of passage. So that's how you, that's how you measure that. Got so it. the, the depth is about, the depth of the cave is about 230 feet at its, at its deepest point. Okay. Which is still pretty deep. At po- yeah. At times. Yes. So have there, um, been other unique findings in the cave over the years? Because I, I see it was restored in, was the cave restored in the 1800s? Is that what I'm reading? Well, no, the cave wasn't um, discovered then. This, the cave was discovered in 19, February of 1937 by wow. a, a man named Joe Petty. And, and he was a guide in Old Mystery Cave, which was the original show cave. And that's just upstream from, from the Mystery Cave now that we see. And he, he, he liked to explore caves. And he was walking along the frozen river outside. The South Branch Root River is the river that flows in front of Mystery Cave. And he's lo- he looked up on the hillside and he saw an area where the snow had melted and and for a caver, when you see steam coming out of the hillside, warm air coming out, that's a that's a sign that there may be a cave down below, a void, a warm the warm air. So, like Mystery Cave, for instance, is a constant forty eight degrees all year long, summer and winter. So you'll have that warm air coming out of the cave. So he went home. He got some digging tools, dug dug down into that crevice, got came into Mystery Cave. And they had it open for tours by July of that same year. Really? Wow. Very quickly. Yeah. But and and the way that they developed the cave back then is well the, the nature of the of Mystery Cave are these long, deep crevices. And certainly, you know, people the average person can't tour the cave going over these long, deep crevices. So Passages in caves are aren't flat, you know. They they have hills and valleys just like the surface, and so they had to lower the passages in the caves to make people to make it so people can walk through. And all of that fill they dumped into the crevices to to fill up the crevices so people can walk over the passages. And it wasn't enough to fill it in, so they had to bring in fill from outside as well. So this, they brought in tons and tons of fill to, to make passages throughout the cave. And in doing that, they filled in pools, beautiful calcite pools. They covered up beautiful formations. And they really changed the, the nature of the cave, the airflow and the water flow of the cave. And, it, you know, it's not anything that 
you know, it's just what they did back then. I'm not saying sure. they did anything. It's just the way things were. Uh, but over time, the um, the cave changed hands a few times until until 1985 when the cave went up for sale. Uh, and the park manager at the time and the the um, director of the DNR at the time was interested in in acquiring the cave. They thought it'd be great for visitors to come visit and learn about the karst here. So in 1987, legislation was approved to purchase Mystery Cave. And by February of 1988, the purchase went through and Forestville and the, and the cave was dedicated, you know, as part of the park, part of Forestville in, on August 14th, 1988. And, and when they did that, they closed the, the the cave has two entrances that we call it M1 and M2, and um, they closed the the main entrance, the M1 entrances, which is where the visitor center is. Down, they closed it for five years so they could restore it. They pulled out all that gravel and all that fill. They exposed the crevices. They found um, beautiful pools you know, that were covered up and meticulously took dental tools, picking out all the gravel and things that was filled. Wow. Put in nice lights, inst- uh, installed bridges so people can walk over the cave without damaging it. And that took five years. And it was completed in August of, of 1992. And is that when it you started the tours that we now see today that at Mystery Cave is in 92? Oh, okay. Well, in in nineteen after in nineteen eighty nine is when they started the tours, and okay. and uh, during that time they had uh, tours out of the second entrance, the M two entrance. So people would meet here at the visitor center and get they would uh, take a bus ride over to the ent- other entrance, and 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 go through tours there. But the the neat thing about what happened when they restored the M1 entrance, uh, they made it completely accessible. So there's no stairs. So anybody who wants to see the cave can see uh, see the cave through the M1 entrance. Uh, the M2 entrance is, has stairs. There's no paved trails. There's no electric lights. We have lantern tours out of the other entrance. So, uh, so this way, if anybody wants to come see the cave, you can come. That's pretty neat. Heatog, the hottest name in portable propane heaters. More reliable, wider heat area, and packed with features for hunting, camping, fishing, tailgating, workshops, and job sites. Tired of melted ice at your feet in your pop-up ice shelter? Heatog is the only heater with adjustable tilt that sends the heat exactly where you want it. Heat your body, not just your feet. You want more features? Heat Hog keeps your fuel warm for longer runtime per tank. Plus, these portable units blast heat to a 33% wider area than the competition. With three different models to choose from, there is a Heat Hog just the right size for you to get easy to use, portable, reliable heat. Stay warmer longer with heat hog visit heathog.com and order one today with free shipping heat hog the only one that tilts this message is brought to you by the minnesota propane association 
clean, affordable, reliable energy. These are all the things that people want for their homes and businesses. The one source of energy in Minnesota that can offer all of these benefits is propane. Clean. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than the equivalent amount of the electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Affordable. According to the U.S. Department of Energy, propane costs approximately 30% less than electricity in the U.S. The savings in Minnesota can even be higher. Reliable. Propane is energy stored on site, independent of the grid. Propane can power your home or business anytime you need it. Energy. Propane is a direct energy source used at your home or business, unlike electricity, which is produced somewhere away from your home. By the time electricity gets to your home, 66% of the energy used to produce it is lost. That is why propane is approximately three times more efficient than electricity. Propane, the right energy right now. For more information on what propane can do for you and the environment, go to propane.com. Connecticut. You know, fall is here. We've been back to the cabin to rake the leaves and pull out the dock. And now it is hunting season. And that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin. And what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But after a painless four-hour installation, we had Connecticut soft water and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make that early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funky, and Connecticut water cleaned up the showers and our dishes. The world's most efficient, worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. And what do people see when they go on the tour? What, how, you know, how far do they go into the cave? Um, is it, do they get to see all of the cave? Is it parts of the cave? Um, can you share with us what they would see? Sure. Well, there, there are several different tours that, that you can go on. Um, the cave is open from, and every year it's open from Mother's Day weekend through MEA weekend, uh, that Sunday of MEA weekend. And the, the, the big tour is the scenic tour. It's the most popular one. And it sees, uh, it, it shows you the most actively dripping, beautiful calcite formations. Uh, there's a beautiful pool at the end of the tour um, called Turquoise Lake. If you have your annual permit, uh, park permit on your windshield, you'd look at it. That's Turquoise Lake. They're using Turquoise Lake this year for the permit. So hopefully you have it. Uh, yes. <laughs> but uh, on the scenic tour, it's an hour tour. And you walk across the South Branch Root River into the entrance of the cave. And it's the it's a paved trail with low lighting that really accents the cave with shadows and uh, highlights cave formations and water that's dripping. And and in the cave, you'll you'll go through several different passages. The dome room, which has this three foot cephalopod in the ceiling, cephalopod fossil that you get to see. Uh, lots of stalactites and stalagmites. And then you cross uh, Frozen Falls, which is this beautiful cave formation, a calcite that's just dripping down the wall. And 
there's a big crack in the ceiling where water water comes down like a shower into the pool. And there's a bridge that you cross to get over this. And then you, it, the, the tour, that tour ends at Turquoise Lake, which is a beautiful, dramatic, turquoise-colored pool in, in the cave. Hmm. There's, there's also other tours out of the second entrance, and we have hour-long lantern tours and two-hour-long geology tours. And those are the, the cave on that side is older and it's not as active, but that's where you get to walk down. And it has these beautiful, tall, sinuous passages. And that's where you see the Stuartville. And there's a, a bridge that you walk over uh, a place called Blue Lake, which has these dramatic raft cones poking out of the lake, which are really interesting. And if you're interested in geology, uh, our more in-depth program, the geology tour, is is uh, is really fun. And it's with lanterns. We have these old-fashioned lanterns that you get to use. But then if you're real adventurous, and you should try this, Laura, I'd be happy <laughs> to in. take you, <laughs> is, we have a wild cave tour. And that goes out of the M1 entrance. It starts after Turquoise Lake. And we give you all the equipment that you need, the helmets, headlamps, gloves, coveralls, knee pads, elbow pads, everything that you need. And we'll take you off trail and you get to crawl through uh, parts of the cave that most people don't get a chance to see. And it's a four-hour tour and it's, it's, it can be a little strenuous, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And you crawl back, oh, it's about two miles back, and it's stoop walking as well. It stops at a place called Big Fork that has these, it's a big, big walking passage. It's probably 20 feet high, maybe 15 feet wide, that has these beautiful white calcite formations all over the room. Incredible. And then we bring you back. So it's a lot of fun. That actually sounds right up my alley. I love the the off the beaten path adventures and specifically when you're with an expert who hopefully knows the cave inside and out to get you back out. <laughs> we haven't lost anybody yet. So. <laughs> That's good. Um, I am so curious on, are there bats in the cave? Because, you know, there's a big... Um, in Austin, Texas, there's a huge bat population. And of course, there's a, a bridge down there that has millions of bats that leave um, the bridge and you can go watch that. Um, but I'm so curious, you know, we have so many mosquitoes here. You would think, does it house any bats in there or is it just not really viable for that based off its temperature? Oh, no. Mystery Cave is a bat hibernaculum. Um, so we have four species of bats that hibernate in, in Minnesota and uh, that use the cave. Um, but, uh, most of the time in the summer, you won't see them every once in a while, you'll see a bat. So, um, the, in the winter they hibernate in the cave, but in the summer they're out of the cave. They're often roosting in the crevices or in the trees. We have a lot of bat boxes around the park that they use. So they're, they're out there. They're great animals. They, um, they can eat nearly their body weight in, in insects and mosquitoes in one night. Wow. So, yeah, think of that. Imagine if you ate your body weight in food every single day, right? Yeah. So that, it's a lot of uh, free 
pesticides, you know, I should say that, that they, they provide us a great service. Yes, but they do. They, there's a problem. Have you heard of white nose syndrome? I have a little bit. Is that, um, is it a disease that's going around th- with bats? It is. It's, it's yeah. a, it's a fungus, pseudogymnoascus destructans. It's called PD for short. And it, it came over from Europe. Bats over in Europe have it and have evolved to live with it, but um, it is considered invasive here. And it showed up in New York first and it's moving its way across the, the United States. It showed up here in Mystery Cave in, I believe it was 2017, 2018. Oh, no. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, right about there. Anyway, it's it has decimated bat populations um, everywhere it moves. Uh, we've lost about 95% of our bat populations. So Really? So we used is to have several statewide? thousand. It, it is statewide. The mine you know, up, up north has huge bat populations and, and it's really devastated uh, their populations as well, the Sudan mine. Oh, no. And, you know, you don't think of how important bats are to our environment, but they are critical to keep, obviously, insects um, that their populations in control. But to have a virus come through and wipe 95% of the bats out, that's incredible. Are they trying to figure out ways to prevent the virus from continuing to decimate the populations? They, they are. There are researchers. Uh, uh, Christine Solomon is one of them. She, she uh, is at the University of Minnesota, and uh, they're working with us to um, try to determine remedies or cures for the, for the fungus, how it, how it repopulates. Uh, they have, uh, they're called break beam indicators and the bat doors for the cave entrances here. So we can, you know, study, you know, observe their, how bats are moving in and out of the cave and kind of keeping a track on, on the numbers of the bats that enter the cave. And, you know, they're making, they're making forward progress. Uh, when I spoke with Christine recently, they, you know, they have these fungicides and ways to, you know, kill the fungus, but there are all sorts of other microbial life and really good, you know, good, good other fungus in the cave that's important. Mm-hmm. And so how do you remove one fungus without, you know, destroying other things in the cave? And that's, that's the problem there. My goodness. You know, I, this is why I love having conversations with people like yourself who um, are so close to a lot of the conservation and habitat efforts that happen here in our state, um, because there's so many small, it's not a small issue, but it's a issue you may not hear of every day compared to some of the other bigger ones that we hear about. So um, I did not know that the, um, fungus was that decimating to our bat population here in Minnesota. That's not good at all. Do they know if it's affecting any other species or is it just local? Is it staying right to the bat population? It, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt humans or it hasn't been affecting any other animals, any other species so far. So just bats. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, I have to ask you why 
are you so passionate about the, the cave and, um, and what brought you to mystery cave state park? Oh gosh, um, I I have been um, a caver uh, for for decades now. Uh, I consider myself a, a speleologist, but uh, for me, the the what what is so why I'm so passionate is um, because caves are so important for um, just 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 for our our health. For instance, um, there's you know. One of the really thing, really interesting things is is the driftless area, the area that that we're in right now. It's it's known for its world class trout fishing, mm-hmm. and and you could thank Mystery Cave and a few other caves for this. Um, Mystery Cave functions as a meander cutoff for the South Branch Root River. Uh, the the surface river water it drains underground through parts of Mystery Cave, shortcutting the longer surface course of the river and. During during periods of of low river levels, um, you know, typically in the summer, and, and especially this year because of the drought, um, the surface water gradually diminishes noticeably in front of the cave entrance or very close by. So it's pretty interesting to see the river flowing down the riverbed and taking a turn into a crack and just totally disappearing. And so while the river is underground, it's called the disappearing river. And it flows about two miles through the cave, and it comes back to the surface at Seven Springs Wildlife Management Area. And the that that the wildlife management area is between the visitor center here at the cave and the main park, Forestville. So it's the same river here as it is at Seven Springs, but for if you went to fish for trout in front of the cave, you wouldn't catch any. But go to Seven Springs or any other cold water stream in in the main park. That's where you catch the trout. So when the water is underground, it is cooled down to the temperature that trout need. So without the cave, you wouldn't have the trout. So that's pretty wow. neat. And that a, and is a, really cool. Isn't that cool? So yeah, you need caves to have things like this. And, and another related tidbit is is that when the water's underground, it doesn't evaporate like when it does on the surface. So caves are much better at storing water, much better than lakes or man man made reservoirs. So so caves are these unique. They, they're unique because of the interconnected interconnectedness to so many wonderful things. You know. When you leave the surface and go underground from one extreme to the other, you know, we, we discover that caves are its own environment that is, that's defined by, by water. You, you can't talk about caves without talking about the surface. One is reflective of the other. So, like, caves are the our, our conduits for our groundwater. And so I just love talking about that and, and teaching people about that. So, we, we, like, for instance, when you think about caves as conduits for our groundwater, this this can create problems. Um, the rock here in this area is like Swiss cheese. It's full of cracks. So not only does water from the surface go very quickly underground, so does all the human activity. You know, pollutants mm-hmm. go underground and enter our groundwater quickly. So water quality in this area could be an issue. So one of the interesting things is when I when I moved here from I moved here to Fillmore County uh, a few years ago, 
And I registered my Jeep and I got that license plate that says land of 10,000 lakes. And I'm looking around, you know, where are all these lakes? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I learned that there's no natural lakes here in Fillmore County, but Fillmore County is the land of 10,000 sinkholes. So maybe that gives you an idea where all the water is. It's underground. Interesting. I did not know that. Isn't that crazy? There's that many sinkholes. This is yeah. so fascinating. Our, you know, our state has so many interesting aspects to it, just depending on where you are, obviously, regionally within the state. But um, yeah, Bluff Country or Southeast uh, Minnesota is fascinating to me. I um, had the chance to actually do some fossil hunting down oh. there, which was my first experience of understanding that uh, Minnesota was under the sea. And I found some cephalopods and I was fascinated to see how many there are down there. Um, and it's just a really interesting place to visit. And not only, of course, the limestone um, cliffs and bluffs are so beautiful, uh, but also uh, just with the environment there, I you just taught me something new today. I did not know there was all those underground pools of water all over that area. But are there any other caves that are of interest in our state or is the the mystery cave kind of the one cave that we have here? Well, there there is another cave, Niagara Cave, that is open to public tours. And but it's privately owned by the the Bishop family, super nice folks. But Niagara Cave is in Harmony, and if you want to see the Stuartville that I was talking about, uh, their cave is developed mostly in that Stuartville, and and then of course, because it's Niagara Cave, it has this this really dramatic waterfall in the cave. So if you want to see two different, really different looking caves. Uh, you stop by Mystery Cave and then take a tour of Niagara Cave. But all you know, the other it, caves are privately owned. So privately there's about 400, uh, 400 caves in, in this area. Wow. Well, I guess we have, uh, it was Mr. Petty that discovered this cave, right? Do we have him to thank for, um, well, he must have sold it. You said somebody sold it to um, the state and the 80s. So whoever, who was that, that you said sold the cave to and gave it back to the state? Clarence Prohaska or yes. Clarence and Donald Prohaska. Yeah. Well, thank you, Clarence and Donna for uh, opening up the cave to the public and letting people learn about how cool caves are. And I um, also to, I also learned the new word today, caver. I didn't realize that if someone who has a, is a cave enthusiast, they are called a caver, which is really cool. <laughs> um, and I am so curious on how one becomes a caver because I'm assuming just like if you want to become a rock climber or a scuba diver, you just don't jump right into it. There's definitely a learning curve for safety. Like I'm assuming you just don't walk into any cave cause you have no idea you know, there's crevasses and everything else. So um, how do you become a caver? If people are interested in learning more about caves, do you just start with a tour here? Well, th- that, that is a good way. If, if um, going on a regular walking tour um, really piques your interest, uh, you could try a wild cave tour. And if you, if, if um, you know, for some people it's, it's not, it's not good for some people, but if that really, um, uh, 
you, from go, doing that, you really get the cave bug. The cave bug bites you. Uh, <laughs> there is an organization. It's called the National Speleological Society, and it's a nationwide organization that promotes the study, the exploration, and and recreational caving as well. And they have local chapters throughout the United States and here in Minnesota. They're called grottos. And the one here in Minnesota is called the Minnesota Speleological Survey. And we, here at Mystery Cave, we have what's called a trustee program. So cave, Mystery Cave is public land, just, just like the main park is, is where you can go hiking. But because the, the cave is so fragile, uh, you, you can't just go into it. And because, you know, there is risk of uh, a higher risk, a little bit higher risk of getting hurt. We, we go through uh, the MSS, the Minnesota Speleological Survey. They are trustees. They are cavers who have been coming to the cave for years. They know how to travel safely through the cave. They know the routes of the cave. And they know how to travel in the cave without damaging it because it is such a fragile environment. And when people contact me who want to go caving, we'll introduce them to the folks in the MSS and uh, they make arrangements to go caving. They have a what's called a corn feed here every year. It's a caving get together in August here at Mystery Cave. But they, they go caving in other caves. They have uh, relationships with some of the uh, private landowners who have caves and they take them caving. So they all, the MSS has a website. If, so if this interests anybody who's listening to go ahead and, and look them up and contact them and they'd be happy to teach them how to go caving safely. Hi, everybody. Ron Shera here again with another nifty story. This one about my favorite bank, the story of Star Bank. There's 10 of them in Minnesota, but here's where the plot thickens. A Star Bank is more than money. A Star Bank cares, cares about its customers, cares about the community, whether it's town parades or the kids' baseball team. Why? Because Star Banks are locally owned. They treat you right. Quite a tale, wouldn't you say? How do I know? Because Star Bank is also our bank at Ronshare Productions. Just another story with a happy ending. Star Bank, the bank that cares. Member FDIC. To learn more online, go to star.bank. A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. Propane, it's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. 
Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. So I assume you've probably have explored many caves. Is there any? Is there a cave within our United States that is your favorite? Besides, of course, Mystery Cave State Park. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, there's a couple. Um, one is uh, Mammoth Cave. I, I'm a expedition leader for the Cave Research Foundation, and every year. Well, they, they have at Mammoth, Mammoth Cave is a national park in Kentucky. And the Cave Research Foundation has been surveying and, and helping the park with research projects and, you know, any type of activity in the cave that they need help with. So every year I go there in March and, and lead an expedition. And uh, the cave has, has so much history that, you know, there, it was used by natives. They uh, mine morabolite out of the cave. Morabolite's used wow. as kind of a, a, a laxative. Uh, it was mined uh, during the Civil War for um, for the explosive, you know, need for, for their cannons and guns. Uh, there was a doctor who owned it at one time, and he, he studied um, tuberculosis, and he thought the, the cold, damp air would, would help his patients and he built these tuberculosis huts in the cave and wow. it didn't work. <laughs> and, and the really neat thing about it is this man named Stephen Bishop, who was a slave at the time, the doctor owned him and he drew a very detailed map of the known part of mystery cave. He was the one, he did a lot of exploring and it's, it's interesting because we I, here I am in my caving equipment with my coveralls and knee pads and electric lights on my helmet and everything. And we're way in the cave and I'll look up and I'll see Stephen Bishop's signature, you know, etched in from the, in black soot on, you know, on the wall. And, you know, just wonder how someone from the 1800s was able to get as wow. far back. But there's all this history at Mammoth Cave. So it's a national park. So visitors can, can go see that too. Now that is cool. Yeah, that's got to be the interesting thing about going cave exploring um, is some of the the mystery, of course, of how people, as you had said back in the 1800s, how did they get back there? How did they find their way around? Just the bravery of some of that um, as well to be some of the first explorers in those places because obviously it can be, I'm assuming, rather dangerous. Um, that is really, I just looked it up, Mammoth Cave. Uh, it's in Kentucky. Very cool. I had the opportunity of, um, touring my first cave and I'm not a caver, but I, um, do find rocks and the rock formations and all the history of how, um, you know, caves have gotten to these, to where they are. Um, I was in Morocco years ago. I studied abroad in Spain and we took a boat over to Morocco for the day and we toured um, the cave of Hercules. And once you're in there, when you, it's on the ocean and you get into the cave and you look out the, the edge of the cave going out to the ocean is in the ex almost the exact form of the continent of Africa. And the cave is in Morocco. 
Oh, wow. So that was fascinating. Um, and you can see that one online and it's called the cave of Hercules, but that was my first, um, experience in a cave, which was, uh, pretty cool to see that firsthand when you look out to the ocean and it looks like you're looking at the continent of Africa, like it was cut out perfectly in the rock. So, um, that's also a mystery <laughs> of how did that, how did the ocean do that? Uh, so delicately, but, um, well, that is, is very cool. And of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of other things to do around, um, at the state park as well, as you'd mentioned, trout streams. I see there's horse camping there. Um, and then there's historic Forestville, which is what was restored in the 1800s was actually the village of Forestville. So what were they using Forestville for back, um, in the 1800s? Oh, well, it was, um, it was, you know, a, a settlement town, um, and the Megan family were, were the people that were settling it, uh, tim using timber, growing crops, uh, wheat. They had a, a mill there at one time and, uh, you know, they kind of, they leased property to, to some farmers in the area too. They had one of those, like a company store and company housing, things like that there. And over time, the, 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 the Megans eventually sold, um, the, the park, uh, and boy, my history on, on the main park isn't the best though. So, um, oh, that's but, all right. I'm yeah throwing a question uh, out of left field at you. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, eventually, yeah, you'll have to edit all that part. Um, you know, eventually, uh, no. in, in the 1960s, the, the, they ended up selling the, the park to the state and over time it's grown to over 3,600 acres. Um, but what's left of the, of the Megan house and the barn and, uh, a few other outbuildings is still there. And, uh, the old historic bridge as well. They just moved it. The bridge was, was failing. And for the last year, the bridge was closed to traffic, which kind of cut off, you know, part of the park. It was, you had to cross a, uh, a river over stepping stones instead of the bridge, which, which was kind of hard for some people, but the um, county and the state are working together to, to um, get that remedied. And the, the old bridge was moved just yesterday and, um, the hope is that um, they'll have a footbridge across the river by this spring, so that'll uh, return access to the historic site where they have they have tours of the old buildings there. So cool. Well, thank you, Don, for joining us on the Minnesota Bound podcast. I um, you took us on a wonderful audio tour of the cave and. Uh, what you can expect to see and do if you choose to visit. And uh, if people wanted to learn more about the cave and uh, when the tours start back up again, uh, where would they find that information? We have a website. And if you just, let's see if I can pull it up here. Um, State has a website. And if you just, you know, Google Forestville Mystery Cave State Park. Uh, you'll see our website that co uh, comes up, and there's links on our website that have uh, tour information about the caves and um, how to buy tickets and other information there. Awesome. I, I will 
get the tour booked for this summer to come down and visit the cave and maybe do the wild cave tour. That actually sounds really fun. Do you have any plans of any other cave adventures for yourself in the future? Uh, well, Coming just, up? just working at, at Mammoth Cave in March. And, um, you know, one, one real interesting thing, if, if you have time for this, is uh, just, uh, just recently we did an invertebrate inventory in the caves that we manage here. There's Mystery Cave, Old Mystery, and Cherry Grove. It's a, it's a scientific and natural area five miles from here. It has caves as well. And in that uh, inventory, we were able to identify some some new species of invertebrates that we, we believe are new species, but have definitely um, extended the known range of some animals, some uh, millipedes and uh, mites and spiders that uh, there's a spider, a nesticus spider that has never been identified here in Minnesota. And really? so these animals, it's so cool. These animals are cave adapted. So uh, to be cave adapted, uh, most cave adapted animals have no eyes or reduced eyes. Mm-hmm. They have their pigment is either very white or clear. You can see right through their skins and their skin and see their organs. And they often have very long appendages, like long legs and long uh, antenna. And they live in the, some of the, these animals live in mystery cave. And nowhere else in the world, and so that that's what that's what really gets me excited, and really makes Mystery Cave really unique. Wow, I'm now second guessing my Mystery Cave tour with the spider comment. <laughs> They're tiny. They're tiny You're animals. You're getting fascinated by the spiders. <laughs> I'm getting terrified by the spiders. Okay, I'm glad you said tiny because when you were talking about the worms, I don't know if the spiders are still you know as large as they were millions of years ago, but. Um, that is so unique when people, when they find new species of, um, you know, insects, mammals, animals, whatever. Um, that's when I, I did a podcast with um, someone from the DNR who is an expert in dragonflies and they are still finding new species of dragonflies today. And um, dragonflies, of course, were also prehistoric and they used to be as, you know, their bodies were as long as your arm and their wingspan, I think, I don't know if it was six feet wide, but they were huge um, back in the prehistoric times. So it's um, it's so cool the work that you do and others that work in these fields when they find um, new species that we never even knew existed. So that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty neat. These these animals are tiny. They're um, often no bigger than a, a grain of rice. So uh, you can't hardly see them. You really have to try to find them. So nothing that would bother you. Very cool. No. And we should be tougher than that anyway. I was, <laughs> I was joking. I'm tough about a lot of things. It's just sometimes spiders. I'm like, eh, I don't know. They just, some, they move so fast, but no, I wouldn't let me, I wouldn't let it deter me from uh, doing the wild cave tour or, or any of that. I would, I would still love to try that out, but um, well, thank you again for joining us on the Minnesota bomb podcast. You are a wealth of knowledge and uh, you have such a unique Uh, job and following your passion as a caver. Um, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Well, thank you, Laura. And uh, let me know when you're ready to go caving and I'd be happy to take you. I would love that. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you to our sponsors, Grain Belt, Connecticut, Heat Hog, Lakes Gas, Minnesota Propane, North Dakota Tourism, and Star Bank. 
Also, remember to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. Mm-hmm.